Matthew chapter 22, we're starting a new series, pastors love the series, don't they? This is the first time, this is the first time, I think, since I've been uh, the pastor of this church, that I've actually done a topical series. I know, I've never done a topical this is going to be weird for me. We're doing a topical series for the next four months. Actually, we're doing two series. There's going to be one that the, the different brothers in the church are going to do, and then one that I'm doing. And the one that I'm doing, we're starting today, on the one another commands in Scripture. All the one another, there's 31 uh, one another, distinct one another commands in the New Testament. And we're going to look at, at those in about uh, 10, 12 weeks. It's not come back, I promise. It's my husband. Matthew chapter 22. So I'm going to start uh, in a very familiar part of the New Testament. But we're going to have loads of verses for you on the screen. There's a handout so that you can figure out what words you're supposed to fill in there as we go along. If you can read that, that might be too small. I don't know. Um, but yeah, let's start in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 34 to 40, and then I'll pray, and we'll get into it together. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. And Father, we just thank you so much that your word is living and is active. Lord, that it's able to both expose us and to heal us. And we thank you, Father, that you want to do more for us today than we imagined when we walked in the door. And so, Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes, that, that we would, even things that we think are familiar to us, would no longer be familiar, but to be fresh, to be foundational. It would be transformational. And that, Lord, we would see you do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Thank you, God, that you love us. And we pray you open our eyes to your love. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Remember that Greece says? I was perusing the internet this week, and I came across this article. And the title of the article was, 13 Scientifically Proven Signs That You're in Love. But three of them are really stupid, so we're going to narrow it down to ten. It's scientific, and it's on the internet, so it must be true. Let's go over there. The first is this. You begin to think your beloved is unique. No one chews food with their mouth closed like mine. You focus on your beloved's positive qualities. I think it's nice that she has three eyes. Share adversity with your beloved intensifies your romantic feelings. I'm glad we're in the zombie apocalypse together. Your obsessive thoughts, uh, you have obsessive thoughts about your beloved. We won't go there. 
You show signs of emotional dependency for your beloved. You long for a future with your beloved. You feel empathetic and willing to sacrifice for your beloved. There's three cupcakes you can have water. <laughs> you reorder your habits and priorities for your beloved. I'll make four cupcakes. You can have one. <laughs> you desire exclusivity with your beloved. And here's the last one. This one is interesting. I think this one's important. Your longing for your beloved will either evolve into commitment or it will die. It's interesting, when, when, when this, this survey that they did, or this, this uh, study they did, it was actually based on what aspects of the brain were firing off when, when people talked about the one that they loved. And, and as, they, as they, what kinds of behaviors were there. And so they were kind of trying to map the brain about what does love look like scientifically. What does love look like as a materialistic response of our brains? And this is what they come up with. It's interesting to me because not only is this kind of interesting from a sense of how our brains work, but it's interesting to me because it, to me it sounds like a lot like worship. What it means for us to worship. And I want you to keep that in mind as we carry on. <coughs> now, going to our text this morning, it's a situation where Jesus has been speaking or been tested by, questioned by this group, the Sadducees. The Sadducees were Jewish believers, but they only believed the first five books of the Bible, and they didn't believe in any of the supernatural bits. They just believed in the morals and the laws that were there. They didn't believe in the supernatural bits, so they tried to trick Jesus, and Jesus kind of shut them down quickly. So this other group, the Pharisees, who were also Jewish believers, but they believed in all of the Old Testament, including especially the supernatural aspects of who God is and what he does, they're wanting to see, okay, is this Jesus guy, this teacher from Galilee, is he going to uphold the scriptures to the same place that we uphold them? And so they're testing him. They're wanting to see, is this guy really going to hold up the scriptures? Is he going to hold up what God commands in the same way we would hold up what God commands? And so they ask him a question. Which is the great commandment in the law? Now, we're going to see that the answer that Jesus gives was actually an answer in one sense that they expected. They would have expected him to go to this, uh, this passage in Deuteronomy 6, which we'll talk about in a minute. They would have expected this, but the way Jesus applies it, and how he connects it, and how he expects it to be lived out was something that, well, they just could not practice. It was something that they didn't know how to actually do. And so what I want to do is I'm kind of going to spring off this section, this great this section on the great commandment that Jesus brings up. And what I want to do is kind of give us three truths that are going to help us to, to understand why loving God is where loving one another starts. This is what we want to see. Why is it that we need to love God? So let's start off with just thinking about why love needs to be commanded in the first place. Isn't, shouldn't it be the most natural, most obvious thing? All we need is love. Walk, 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 walk. Shouldn't that be the most natural thing, right? Why does it have to be commanded? Well, here, here's why. This is why God has to commanded. The first thing is because we tend to do the right things, but for the wrong reasons. 
See, here's what the Pharisees are, uh, were, were known to do. They were known to exalt God's word. God had spoken to his, to his people. God had given them clarity on who he was and what he wanted to do. He did this through Moses. God had spoken time and time again through these prophets that he would send them. This is what the, the Old Testament is made up of. And so they exalted God's word. They exalted that God had spoken. That's the right thing. But they did it because they trusted they could be good enough by just trying hard. They trusted their own righteousness. That's the wrong reason. God doesn't give us his word so we trust in our righteousness. God gives us his word so we know that he's the righteous one and we can trust him. So here's the thing. We tend to do the same thing. There's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. We tend to go, okay, I like that principle. I like the idea of, as, as the base of the series is going to be, loving one another. And I think I actually do that already. I think I do that pretty well. And so we, we think that we're doing the right thing. We're often doing it for the wrong reasons. Now, another reason, though, is this. Uh, it, it's the reason love needs to be commanded is because how we obey the command demonstrates the object of our love. So when they ask Jesus, uh, teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? They're wanting to know, okay, which, which law would you exalt? And again, as I said earlier, it's not a surprise that Jesus would pick this, this law, which we'll talk about in a minute. But what, what they saw was, they saw obedience as a way that God, to obligate God to bless them. We're going to do the right thing, God's going to bless us for it. Now they saw this in, in, in one part because the scripture actually says that. Part of God said to them in, in another part of Deuteronomy, listen, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you're going to be cursed. There's, in other words, there's consequences for your actions. Good consequences for good actions, bad consequences for, for bad actions. And it's interesting, actually all religious groups believe that to a degree, but karma is. But God was interested in something bigger than what we might call karma. God was interested in us knowing something better than karma. But they have this, the Pharisees saw this this way, okay? And, and, the, and, the, and the issue is, oftentimes because they were doing this, because they were trying to do the right thing for the wrong reasons, because they were trying to obey God's law, because they were trying to do God to obligate them, they would intimidate others to do exactly what they wanted to do. In fact, it's interesting, you read about this in John chapter 12, that there are many people that were of the religious authorities who began to believe in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they wouldn't confess it. They wouldn't really believe in Jesus. So, because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue, the scripture says. And this is why, listen, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now, none of these people here who, who secretly believed in Jesus or who were faithful to go to the synagogue every, every week, none of these people, listen, would have flinched at, I should love God. Or I should love my neighbor. They wouldn't have flinched at those commands. <clears throat> but they would only have done them in a way that pleased men. They were so wanting man's praise uh, that, that they would even not publicly say they believed in Jesus because they were afraid to get kicked out of synagogue. <laughs> See, this is what we mean. They were obeying, but the, how they obeyed would show, listen, it would demonstrate what they actually loved. What they loved was not God. What they loved wasn't necessarily in other people. What they loved was praise. They wanted themselves to be exalted. You ever 
met somebody who does something good for you, and you know they're doing something good for you, so that they get a pat on the back? Doesn't it feel a little bit disingenuous sometimes? And we can, we're all guilty. We've all done it. See, how, it's not just that we obey this command of love, but how we obey shows what we actually love, or who we actually love. Jesus, when he obeyed, he obeyed because he knew his Father loved him. He knew God loved him. He was convinced of it. Listen, Jesus, in the last night before he's crucified, and when he's kind of laying a foundation for his disciples to follow, he says this, John chapter 15, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Did Jesus do what the Father wanted him to do because he was afraid if I don't do this, the Father will stop loving me? No, absolutely not. We'll see why that's the case. And so the, the, here's why this is important. Listen, it's important because... If he didn't obey to be loved, but because he was loved, and he calls us to obey, he calls us to obey for the same reason. God, I want to obey because you're the object of my love, and I know that you love me. See, love needs to be commanded because we tend to do the right things for the wrong reasons, and, we, and, and how we do this is actually going to show what our hearts are at, what we love more than anything. So that's the first thing I want us to think about. Here's the second thing. Why loving God is God's priority. I mean, if any of us did what God would do, it would feel just purely arrogant, wouldn't it? I mean, even when I say that, I thought it feels a bit funny because if I said to you, look, my priority is you all love me well. That's my priority. My priority for this church is you guys all love me well. Where's my presence? Where's my grace? You would all go, we're happy. Yes. <laughs> it would just seem crazy. Now, you would be right to say, by the way, if anyone does that, you should leave that place. Yeah. You'd be right to do that. But the reason is because we inherently know John Brown is not worthy of that. But God says, listen, listen, God says, I want you to see loving me as a priority because, listen, because God is supremely loving. No one loves like God. You know, the scripture says really plainly in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. That doesn't mean that love is God. Like, if I have a feeling of love, then that's automatically the experience of God. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that we have our concept of love and we squeeze God into it. It doesn't mean that either. When the Bible says that God is love, it means He Himself defines what love is. Let's talk about this. I have to go to some other scriptures besides what we're looking at now to talk about what's God's love like? What do we mean when we say God is love? What is love like? Well, first is this. God's love exists eternally. Jesus was praying the same night again before he was crucified. Jesus is praying uh, for believers like us, praying for those who would believe in him because of the apostles' testimony. And in John 17, he prays this list and he says, Father, I have given them glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now, earlier in the same chapter, he talks about this glory as being the glory that he's always had from the beginning. 
Now, glory is kind of a, it's kind of a Christian word, it's a Bible word, it's one of those kind of weird words that we don't really use that much uh, other than in, in Christian terms. But glory simply means this in the Bible, it means the unique value of something. And the unique value of the God of the Bible is that he's eternally one God in three persons. One God in three persons. And when we speak of love, we can't really speak of God being love without understanding that our God is one God in three persons. So, listen, love has to have an object. And the object of God's love is the, the three persons. The Father loving the Son, the Son loving uh, the Father, all by the power and being loved through the work of God's Spirit. The three in one. It is a bit of a mystery to us. I'm not expecting you to go, okay, that doesn't make sense. I know it's a bit of a mystery to us. But it is a fact, the fact that's taught in Scripture, that the God who's created all things has always been three in one, and therefore he's always been love. Now I want you to think about this, comparing it to other religious groups. In fact, let's start with what we started the, the sermon with. Let's think about the basis of the philosophy of religious or, or secular humanism. Materialistic humanism, you might say. The idea that there is no reality except for a material universe. Nothing else is real. If that's the case, all love is, is just kind of weird things going off on your brain. Little chemical reactions that happen. That's all love is. It's nothing more than that. In other words, the love that you have looking at your child, that love is just a chemical reaction. It's not really anything more than that. The love that you have for a spouse, where you want to commit to them, well, it's just, you know, again, some strange chemical reaction. That's all it is. If secular humanism is this, material humanism is this highest truth, what about religions? Buddhism. Buddhism doesn't even have a personal God. Do you guys realize that? There is no personal God in Buddhism. It's just that I, the ideas of, of believing what the Buddha had taught has been passed on down the line. So they, there might be some commands to try to love, but there's no example of what does love look like. How does that actually work? There's no hope that that love is actually eternal. Islam. Islam believes in one God. Islam believes that God's in control. Islam believes, even believes that Islam, that, that God is, is merciful. But that God is singular. The theological term would be simplex. That, that there's, there's no, there's, he's just one only. So that, there, that, so that for God to, the God of Islam to love, there has to be someone else. And that love is always, that's why the Bible talks, or sorry, the Quran talks a lot about maybe Allah being merciful, but very rarely really talks about Allah being loving. But the God of the Scriptures, listen, the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, has always existed. God's love is eternally existent. You know why that's important for us? Because His love is therefore not dependent upon us. Do you know the pressure? Of trying to be lovable. Do you know that pressure? Have you ever experienced that before? You want your parents' approval. And so you try so hard to be lovable. 
you want your spouse to still look at you the way that they did when you were young. And so you obsess about going to the gym. You wear a hairpiece. No, please don't ever do that. No, and I'm serious, you, you know that pressure? The pressure of wanting to be lovable. I'm being afraid that if you're known, they'll know you're not lovable and the love will cease. Listen, when it comes to God's love, it's eternally existing. It's not dependent upon us. It's completely dependent upon who he is. Also, though, God's love isn't just, it doesn't just exist eternally. It also provides unconditionally. Jesus kind of tells us about this when he gives us this command in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, you've heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Because this is the character of our God. Listen. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. There's a phrase this. It's called common grace. It's the idea that God loves what he's created and provides. Not because that creation is good or that we do good, I should say. But because he's love. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. That... James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, would say this uh, a few decades later. He would write this, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all things, uh, created all the lights and heavens, and who he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. God's love is what provides unconditional. If you don't believe in any of this God's stuff, guess what? God's still providing for you all the best things in your life. According to the scriptures, come from God. All the relationships, all, all the pleasures, all the, all the ways that you know, those come from God. God's love exists eternally. But also, listen, God's love invites universally. We all know this verse, right? John chapter 3, verse 16, where we'll say the scriptures in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he might be, but the world might be saved through him. Now we see this also just in case you're wondering, okay, that's what Jesus would say. What about the God of the Old Testament, though? You know, here's what the God of the Old Testament says, because it's the same God. Listen, Ezekiel chapter 18. God says to, to, to those who would listen, cast away from you all the transgression that you've committed and make yourselves a new heart and new spirit. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that idea later on. Why do you die, O house of Israel? God says, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. God universally invites people to come know his love. So I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you've grown up in church or haven't grown up in church. I, I don't care even what you believe right now. I can tell you with all the authority of God's word that he's saying, I want you in my family. You're invited. You're invited. Believe. In fact, this is the thing that we have to understand. When Jesus says this, when he says that God's love the world and he gave his only begotten son, he does so in a context where he gives this picture 
that points to what he would do on the cross. That when Jesus would die on the cross, that was always God's plan from eternity past, that, that, that God himself, God the Son, would take on human flesh, and he'd live this perfect, loving life, and he'd die because of it. They would crucify him because of how well he loved. But in doing so, in dying that way, he would pay for your sin and mine. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be adopted to God's family. This is love. This is God's love. And when we believe, here's what happens. God's love becomes something that we, we see commits to us covenantally. It's kind of a funny word, covenantally. A covenant. You might have heard that word before. Covenant means this. It's, it's basically a contract in love. So it's not just like legally binding and saying, I want to be legally bound to you by a contract. Maybe the closest thing we have in, in our culture is a marriage license. I, listen, it's legal, but it's also like, I want this because I, I love you. I want to be committed to you. That's the idea. Now, now here's what we have to understand. God's Love for us is he's committed to love us as we believe in Jesus. This is really important. Because it, it's, it's wrong for us to think, okay, God's love exists eternally, so God always loves me the same all the time. That's actually not what the Bible teaches. God's love is always available to us, he invites universally, but we only experience God's love as we come to put our faith in who he showed himself to be through Jesus. And we have a covenant, a contract based in love through the person and word of Jesus. Uh, I want you to listen to these scriptures and I want you to, to not miss what's underscored. Listen, Paul writes, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him, that's through Christ who loved us. Paul says, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Where is it? How do we get it? How do we have this commitment? The love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the reason Jesus echoes what the Pharisees would have thought of the greatest commandment is to love God is because God loves us supremely. Only God, listen, only God can love us in a way that is eternal, that is unconditional, that is universal, that is ultimately and eternally committed to us in covenant with Jesus. Only God can love us this way. Listen. The Bible says just simply, plainly, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Now, I want to ask a really serious question right now. How many of you feel like I've heard all of this before? Feel this. How many of you guys feel like I've heard all of this before? Now, most of you have, right? We've heard this before. We emphasize this stuff all the time, but, but here's the problem. We take this truth of God's eternal, universal, unconditional, committed love in Christ. We take this and we stick in a box called concepts, ideas, things that may or may not be true. That's what you do. 
But we forget, listen, we know these things because God didn't just shout them from the heavens, not just because some random dude said, hey, God speaks to me, so listen to what I have to say, but because God himself took on flesh and walked this earth. He came and experienced everything that we experienced. He was in all ways to as we are, yet without sin. When we talk about the love of God, it's not a concept. It's a historically proven reality that we can build our lives on. Now, this is why we need to, to, to understand why loving one another has to flow from loving God. Why loving one another has to flow from loving God. After Jesus says, <coughs> excuse me, after he says, this is the, the first and great commandment, this is, this is the thing that, 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 that uh, all uh, the law falls on, the Pharisee would have said, okay, yeah, that's a good one. Then Jesus says this, and the second is like this. You ask the question, what's the greatest commandment? It's this one, but the second is the second side of the same coin. And he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is really important. All of these. This is where you might go, oh, that's lovely. I know exactly what that means. There's a good chance you don't. Seriously. It's amazing how the simple stuff we get wrong. Listen. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's not saying, listen, he's not saying, speaking of the love that you have for yourself. He's not saying that. He's not saying, do you love yourself? Yeah. I love me. And I'm going to love others because I love me. That is not what he's saying. The standard of love is not the love that comes from you. The that you know that God loves you. You're lo you loving you isn't the standard. God loving you is the standard. This is so important. We're not talking about some kind of side concept, something that's kind of like, yeah, this is kind of helps me psychologically to believe. We're talking about an eternal truth that is meant to be the cornerstone and framework to how we live our lives, to how we treat one another. The fact that we are this so loved by God. Even if we don't feel it. Listen, uh, again, 1 John chapter 4 John writes this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, here's the mistake we make. This is, this is the cornerstone of religion. Here's why religion doesn't work. Here's why religion doesn't save anybody. Because religion says, be lovable. Be working in such a way that God loves you, that he approves of you, that he blesses you. Be lovable. But what the gospel says, what Christianity says, what the scripture says is, you are loved by the God who is love. And Jesus proves it. Listen, the reason why loving one another flows from loving God 
is because we cannot love unless we are loved. Do you get it? I'll tell you what. Uh, if, if, if you, for those of you who are studying psychology, you're going to see this is the thing that they, they, they observe about human behavior. Why do people do so many bad things? They, oftentimes, it's connected to all the bad things that have been done to them. It's not an excuse for bad behavior, by the way. A lot of people get really rub, rubbish things happening to them, and they still do good things. But the, my point is, though, that, that we struggle to actually love when we haven't been loved. My, it's, it's amazing the things that, that, that my parents did wrong. My parents did a lot of stuff that was right. The things that my parents did wrong, the things that I promised myself I wouldn't do, I've done. It's amazing. It's amazing. The, 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 the things when my dad would kind of sort of go away into his own little world and kind of separate himself from everybody. I find myself doing that, pulling away, isolating myself. When there are all kinds of need all around me. I can do that. My mom being so critical. Even when I graduated high school, I'm still school. When I graduated high school, uh, which is a, a, kind of a big deal, you have to do this to get a decent job at the United States. It's like finishing A levels, really. When I graduated high school, my mom's graduation card said, said, well done, but the next one is the one that actually counts. So high school's okay, but university is really what matters. I didn't finish university until 2015. <laughs> but but the, the thing is, I, I find myself, I hated that, and do it to my kids. Why? Because we tend to repeat what we've been given. Can you see why God commands, love me first? Know my love first. Because if your love for your kids is based on how you've been loved, it ain't going to be too great. If you're talking about your parents, or your spouses, or your peers. But if the way you choose to love others is based on how God loves you, ah, that's when things can change. In fact, this is the second thing I want you to notice. Jesus, when Jesus says, on these two commands depend all the law, <laughs> the law of the prophet, the prophets, he's basically saying, listen, you guys were right, you Pharisees, you exalted the, the word of God, you said this is what God says, you were right, you did it. but you did it for the wrong reason, because you don't understand what God's wanting to do is for you to know that you're loved, and also that you can know how to love in return. This is how we know. You sing the song, this is how we know. You see, God's law can define. This is why we need to love in one another, flows from loving God. Because God's love defines, but listen, God's spirit reveals and transforms. God himself has to do this. <coughs> we read earlier in Ezekiel chapter 18, where, where God says to the people, turn to me, get a new heart, a new spirit. Listen to what he says in Ezekiel chapter 36. Here's what God says. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and to be careful to obey my rules. We don't like the word rules, but maybe you think about it as commands. God calls us to love Him supremely because He supremely loves and to love our neighbor 
as we move on. Again, 1 Peter, this is the New Testament, now here's what Peter says. He says, you are cleansed from your sins when you obey the truth. That's the truth of the gospel. Uh, that's what Jesus was talking about in John 3.16. He says, so now you must show sincere love for each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again. Who caused you to have this born again experience, this new life? The Spirit of God. We choose to believe, but God's Spirit has to regenerate us or give us new life. It's God who has to give us new life. You have been born again, but <coughs> not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from eternal, the eternal living word of God. And uh, in Galatians last thing, it says plainly, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you recognize all those things are relational to Do you recognize that? They all have to do with how we relate to others. Listen, we are going to spend the next four months talking about all these one other commands. And they're very specific. There's, like I said, there's 31 of them. We're going to kind of reduce them down to 11 or 12. But they're very specific. And listen, if, if, as we talk about these things in practical detail, what does it look like to do these things, these different commands? As we talk about these things in more and increasing detail, the temptation is to going to forget the vertical love that God has for us, that God eternes as in himself forever. We're going to forget that vertical, and we're going to focus on the horizontal, because what's going to happen? We're just going to fail. At best, we'll be nice people. But God doesn't want to make us nice people. He wants to make us new people. God doesn't give us this word so we can go, okay, here's a moral standard. God gives us this word so we can see how desperately we need him, and, and we can recognize when he, by his spirit, is actually changing us. You follow me? See, studying and obeying these one other commands is not going to provide scientific proof that you're in love. But I'll tell you what it is going to provide. It's going to provide both for us as we do this with one another, and for those who are watching us do it with one another, it's going to provide for us evidence that this kind of love is real. That is working. And in a very same, similar way that when Jesus pierced history. When Jesus came to this earth, we just celebrated his birth at Christmas, right? He came to this earth and people saw his ministry and knew this must be, he must be from God. They will see how we love one another and they will say this, these people must be from God. I need to know their God. This is really This is bigger than just having a really nice conversation over a cup of tea or this is bigger than just making a sacrifice to be on some sort of ministry rotation. This is bigger than just trying to repair a difficult marriage or learn how to arrange your children. This is bigger than this. This is God wanting to give us the greatest thing he can give us, himself. God wants to show us himself as we learn to love only love one another as we believe that we 
Father, I pray as we uh, continue on with our day today, uh, Lord, that you would help us to love as you've loved us. Would you fill us afresh with your spirit today? We recognize without you we do nothing. Lord, with you we do all things. So teach us to love each other, we pray. Use this series, God, to grow us as a family. Use this growth to bring more people to yourself. Please, Lord. We commit the rest of the day to you in Jesus' name. Everyone agree, says? Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Uh, love to meet you if I haven't had a chance to meet you. Really encourage you guys to, to get plugged into a house group. We haven't a house group yet. And we'll, we'll see you all next time.